You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles now to our scripture reading for this afternoon. The text this afternoon is Psalm 39. And in connection with that, I also want to read Psalm 38. As we will see, there is a connection between these two psalms. A psalm of David, a petition. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I am like a deaf man who cannot hear, like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. For the director of music for Jedithan, a psalm of David. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. And as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth. For you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. 
I am overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. For I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Look away from me, that I may rejoice again, before I depart and am no more. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't honestly say that I find them helpful, but from time to time, I'll check out these uh, websites that have sermon illustrations on them. There are a number of different ones. And for this sermon, just to have a look, I, I looked up the topic chastisement. Well, wouldn't you know it, I couldn't find a single site that had anything on this. Some of these sites have hundreds of topics, but not one of them had anything about chastisement. Now, chastisement is in the Bible, but it seems like modern believers don't give this topic any attention. So I thought I'd go a little bit further back in history. I have this uh, beautiful little book called uh, A Puritan Golden Treasury. It's a book of quotes from the Puritans. And, and sure enough, there's a section of quotes on chastisement. For instance, William Gurnall says, God's wounds cure, sin's kisses kill. Another one, John Trapp, he, he writes, better be pruned to grow than cut up to burn. And there are many more such vivid and pithy quotes. Why is it that we have to go to the Puritans to find anything about chastisement in Christian literature? Well, it's a topic that's probably foreign to our lives. Many people hear the word chastisement or they give it some reflection to it and they think, well, that's something that belonged to the Old Testament. Something we don't see today anymore. However, we do find chastisement, the Lord's discipline, in the New Testament as well. Think of what happened to the church in Corinth when they profaned the Lord's Supper. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 that their profaning the table was the reason why many among them were weak and sick and a number of them had fallen asleep. Why did this happen? Well, Paul goes on, he says, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined or chastised so that we will not be condemned with the world. The Corinthians were chastised, they were disciplined by the Lord. And is there any reason to believe that this could not happen also today? could very well happen. That God will chastise us at some point in our lives, whether individually or perhaps even as a congregation. And when the Lord does this, it's because He loves us as a father loves his children. And as a father disciplines his children. We read it in Revelation 3, verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That's actually a, a quote from the book of Proverbs. And that quote from Revelation 3.19, that was addressed to the church at Laodicea, a New Testament congregation of Christ. Of course, we do find that chastisement also in the Old Testament. That's what our text this afternoon is about. David committed some sin. We're not told what that sin was. It was some sin which had been 
unconfessed, some sin which caused God to discipline the, the man after his own heart. God laid His hand upon David in an effort to bring him to his knees in repentance. The psalm shows us that God had His way. He succeeded. This is not an easy experience for King David. He speaks in this psalm about pain and anguish. He underwent turmoil and he felt intense emotions in his anguish, feeling the heavy hand of God's wrath upon him, chastising him. He cried out to the only one who could deliver him. And all this God shows us too, the proper response to his chastisement, the proper way to think about it. So I preach to you God's Word with this theme, a sinner cries out in the anguish of God's chastisement. We're going to consider David's initial approach to the problem, second, his increased understanding of humanity, and then finally, his prayer for deliverance. The psalm starts in a rather interesting way. David begins by letting us in on a a conversation. Now, this was a conversation that he was having with himself. And what did he say? He said that he was going to be careful about how he spoke as long as the wicked men were around him. There's only a hint of a problem here. We're left wondering, what would David say if, if the wicked were not here? What's on his mind? Well, we can only come to understand that by looking further ahead into the psalm. In verses 10 and 11, we read about God's scourge or God's plague upon David. We find that David is being rebuked and disciplined by God for some sin in his life. Why would this cause David to keep his mouth shut in front of the wicked? Well, we have to do some careful thinking here. I think an illustration might help you. When you younger brothers and sisters... When you're disciplined by your parents, do you go around bragging to your friends about how loving your parents are because they punished you for what you did wrong? You know, my mom and dad, they love me so much that they won't let me out of my room for a week. Aren't my mom and dad great? Of course not. You'd never talk like that. Your reaction, especially at first, is to say, some pretty nasty things about your parents. You think some pretty nasty things about your parents. And maybe you get over it later on, maybe later on in your life, and then you realize that mom and dad were really showing their love for you. They really did care for you. But that's not the way it is at that moment when you're being disciplined. That's what David is going through. If he wasn't keeping his mouth shut, he'd probably be saying some, some nasty things about what God, who God is and what's good, what God's doing to him at this moment. Even though David is frustrated, perhaps he's even angry with God, he was not going to allow his feelings about the situation to allow wicked people to dishonor God. Even in his chastisement, you see, he, he still cared about God, he still cared about his honor. Even though he was in anguish, he didn't want God to be blasphemed because of him. So David kept his mouth shut. He didn't even say anything good either. He could have been witnessing to God's love and concern for him, but he was consistent in his silence, saying nothing good and nothing bad. The man after God's own heart was caught 
in a web of his own making. He didn't want to blaspheme God, but at the same time, he also didn't want to come right out and, and say good about him either. You read this psalm and you see the complexity of human existence the way it really is. Our lives, we get all kinds of sinful situations coming up. They make our lives complex and, and complicated. We get into all kinds of messes. We get ourselves into these situations where there is no option that appeals to us. No viable way to go. The reason is our sinfulness. And the great Son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, presents a way out of this web. He was silent at the right times. He spoke at the right times. He had no sinfulness. He had no bitterness. No frustration that would keep him from doing the right thing at the right moment. A life of perfect obedience. This psalm points to him as the answer, as the way out of the complex web that we get ourselves tangled in because of our, our sinfulness. And we'll hear more about how that works out as we, as we work through this psalm. For now, keep Christ in mind. God wants us to see not only David here in this psalm and, and to see ourselves, He wants us to direct our attention to Christ as we read and as we try to understand Psalm 39 and the way that it, it connects to our lives. What happened to David when he took this initial approach? He says that his anguish increased. He bottled it up inside and it, it festered and it fermented into the devil's brew. His pain didn't get any better. Being silent didn't help. His heart grew hot within him. The fire burned, it says. That's a poetic way of saying that he was experiencing some intense emotions. The text doesn't really tell us exactly what he was feeling, what those emotions were, whether he was angry with God or whether he was angry with himself or whether he was frustrated. I'm not told, but... You know, it doesn't really matter. What does matter is that David didn't get any comfort. He didn't get any benefit from keeping quiet about what was happening. It's not that he had to speak about this with the wicked, but he definitely had to say something to someone. And who was that someone? In his chastisement, he was neglecting to speak to the one who had brought this on him. It's like he was giving God the the silent treatment. But that's exactly to whom he had to turn in order to find relief from his anguish. He had to cry out to the one who was chastising him. Of course, this is poetry, right? So we don't know exactly how long it took for David to realize this. But for ourselves, we have the testimony of Psalm 39 imploring us to get on our knees as soon as we can. When you experience any trouble in your life, and it doesn't matter if it's clear or not, whether that's the chastisement of the Lord or something else going on, when anything goes in a sour direction, brothers and sisters, you have to be on your knees. Silence will only make your pain and anguish worse. Again, think of the Lord Jesus. Think of how often the Scriptures testify to the fact that he spent much of his time with the Father in prayer. As far as communication with his Father went, he was never silent. 
even in the deepest pit of his suffering, he was still calling out to the Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was still communication. And when you suffer a blow in your life, and again, it doesn't matter what the reason might be, you have to be on your knees crying out to Father. This is not the time for chicken soup for the whatever. That is the time for prayer. Speak with your tongue. Cry out for understanding. We may also experience intense emotions. We're human. That's okay. But you must not keep silent. Why not? Because your Savior was not silent for you. He spoke for you. He claimed you for His own. He spoke for you. Now He wants you to speak to Him and His Father. He also wants you to search for understanding of who we are in relation to God. And that's what we're going to see in our second point. David spoke, and it was in prayer. What was the content of that prayer? Well, he asked Yahweh, he asked the Lord to teach him. David wanted to learn about how short and how brief his life really is. At first glance, when we look at this, this seems to be out of place. We would expect David to begin with a confession of a sin. And to be honest, something in us wants to know exactly what this sin was that led to this. We're all a little bit nosy. We want to know. But that's not the route that David takes. Why not? Well, part of that may be the connection between this psalm and, and Psalm 38, the one that comes before it. I don't know if you noticed it. There are a lot of similarities between these two psalms. And it's possible many scholars believe that these two psalms were intended to be taken together. They may describe the same time in David's life. They're certainly similar um, thematically. There's a clear confession of sin in Psalm 38. Now, another reason why there's no explicit confession of sin is that it just didn't fit with the intentions of David. Remember, this is poetry. It's not history. A historical narrative or story might, might tell us all those kinds of details. But poetry is different. Poetry is selective. And so this being the case, David takes it for granted, maybe, that, that we would know that he had confessed his sin. After all, Scripture tells us elsewhere that he was the man after God's own heart. Wouldn't you expect a man like that to confess his sin? Part of David's problem may be that he had confessed his sin, that he had repented, and yet the chastisement kept coming. Perhaps he didn't understand why God would continue to chastise him after David thought his sin had been addressed. At any rate, no one can read this psalm and then reach the conclusion that confessing your sin to the Lord is not really a part of the Christian life. But now we're still left with the question of what the vanity, what the transitoriness of, of life has to do with David being chastised for his sin. Why doesn't he ask God to teach him not to fall into the sin which led to this situation? Think about it, that would make more sense, wouldn't it? A little bit of prevention. But we should see, brothers and sisters, that this is exactly what David is asking God. But in an indirect, a poetic way. 
Because sin is the reason why human life is so short and fleeting. Humanity, human existence, apart from the work of God, is vain and empty. It's like vapor or breath. Not in its essence, but because of sin. We weren't created to be this way. Each man's life is but a breath. That's what the Holy Spirit said through David. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Man's hustling and bustling about going from one thing to the next was not meant to be in vain. God created us to be creatures with meaning and and purpose. He created us to live with Him forever in, in perfect blessedness. Life is short and fleeting because without the work of the Spirit in us, our commitment to God is short and fleeting, even non-existent. Without the work of the Spirit, we are as breath, really nothing. And when we realize that, that life is like that, that human existence is that way because of sin, then we're more careful in how we live. The one who understands how transient he is, he's going to take care to live life here on this earth to the fullest. Not going to go on living in sin, living unrepentantly, because he knows there's only one life, and though this life is brief, it counts for eternity. Think about that, brothers and sisters. Everything you do, public and private, everything you say at home and when you're out, everything you think, make it meaningful. Do it for the Lord. David asked to know this. In fact, in this psalm, by the very fact that he wrote it, he showed that he did know it already. God had taught him this point and he was passing it on to the people of God through the ages, also to us. God had also taught him an important distinction. Distinctions are one of the most important things to to know in theology and to know in, in your Bibles. One of the most important distinctions in the Bible is that between the Creator and the creature. We call that the creator-creature distinction. And David illustrates that distinction in verse 5. He contrasts God with himself. David's days were just the mere width of a hand. God is so different. God has existed and will exist for eternity. David is a creature, but God is the eternal creator. Every man falls in the same category that handbreadth category as David. What does this distinction have to do with David's anguished cry and his chastisement? David knows that he's going to die. Perhaps he will even die because of his sin. He simply doesn't know. And that's why in the last verse he asked God to turn away from him, to turn away his wrath before he dies. David learned that he was a, a creature destined for the grave. In this manner, he was humbled before God. He came to know what humanity is really like. And at the same time, this realization, this understanding, was a cry for the Messiah. Death is a fact of our humanity. But in Jesus Christ, the son of David, our death is not like the death of unbelievers. Our death is an entrance into eternal life. And what's more, our lives here are relieved of their vanity and their transitoriness. 
we know that Jesus Christ has redeemed our existence here. He has brought meaning, purpose, direction into our lives. When we suffer again for whatever reason, it's to Him that we have to look. We cry out to God in our pain so that He will show us what we're really like. So that He will teach us and and show us more our, our need for the Lord Jesus. It's in Him that we find deliverance. And that leads us to our last point, David's prayer for deliverance. Verse 7 is a turning point in this psalm. David goes from reflecting on the character of humanity in general to the very real problem of his concrete relationship with the Lord. He actually can't, comes to a confession of his faith. Even though he's being disciplined for his sins, he can still say that his hope is in God. God is the one to whom he looks. God is the one whom he is waiting for. What is he looking for? What is he waiting for from God? And that becomes clear in verse 8. It's salvation from his transgressions. His transgressions, his sins have created a breach in his relationship with God. He asks God to, to rescue him from them. Notice here that David doesn't speak about a single transgression, but he speaks in the plural about all my transgressions. David knows that all of his sins are offensive to God, not just one particular one. David's problem is that all his sins are there, and and the alienation that those sins bring about, that's the problem. Separation between him and God is what concerns him. David also asked God to keep him from being the scorn, the mockery of fools. We could ask the question, what leads David to say this? Is there some pride lingering in David's heart? Is he still in need of more work in the humility department? It's tempting to look at those words in, in that way, as if it was David's own personal reputation that he was concerned about. What we have to remember is that David was not your average Joe Israelite. David was the king. He was a special king, in fact. In, in certain instances, you, you read it in the narratives there, he even acted on occasion like a priest. Sometimes he acted like a prophet. In certain ways, he represented God to the people of Israel and, and possibly also to others. So when people put down this king, this King David, They were also putting down God who had given them the king. The fools mocked and scorned the king. They were also making a statement about God who had chosen this king. So there's much more at stake here than David's own honor. David desires deliverance, not for his own sake, but for the honor of God. That's an interesting point, isn't it? You think about how it is in our lives. What's the reason why we desire salvation? Do we desire salvation for our own personal benefit? Just to to save ourselves? Or do we have a higher concern? Are we concerned for the ultimate glory and honor of God? Something to think about. Why do we desire salvation? The honor of God is also in view in verse 9. David repeats what he said earlier in the psalm about keeping silent. What is his reason? 
And he says, for you are the one who has done this. Verse 9b. This is the chastisement David is experiencing and which he goes on to describe in verses 10 and 11. The chastisement which is like getting a blow from God. Like having everything you value eaten by a giant moth. The chastisement which humbles one into realizing what he is really like. Breath. David's chastisement comes from God. That's why he was originally silent. He wanted to uphold God's honor. Not only that, but he wanted a restored relationship with Yahweh, his God. That's what's really at stake in the last verses of this psalm. Through his sin, David has been alienated from God. There's a separation there. He's not living in fellowship, not living in communion with his Creator. Sin, especially unconfessed sin, does that to us. Sin, and we sin, going on in sin. Maybe we even try to imagine, maybe we pretend, perhaps we forget for a while that we're not Christians. We pretend that we're not Christians just for a few minutes, just so we, or a few hours so we can do what we really want to do. Or maybe we, maybe we forget it too. But whatever case, think about that. That's heinous. Imagining that you are not a Christian, pretending or forgetting. And before we know it, there is no more fellowship with God. What we imagined or what we pretended has become a reality. A living hell. God still looks upon us. But now in His wrath and anger, that's what happened to David. He knew that he was still living before the face of God, but now as an alien, a stranger, it was just like being an unbeliever. He didn't have fellowship. didn't have close communion with God. It's like a nightmare. Maybe some of you have had this nightmare. If you had a, a normal family life, and perhaps not all of us can relate, then you have or had a, a relatively good relationship with your father. Well, in this nightmare, you're, you're in a crowded place with all sorts of people you don't know. And in the crowd, off in the distance, you see your dad, your father, and you run up to him, and he looks at you, he turns around and looks at you after you call it and say, hey, Dad, Dad, and you maybe tap him on the shoulder, and he turns around and he looks at you and he says, who are you? I have no clue who you are. Now, get out of here, leave me alone. That's what was happening with David. Only worse, his God not only did that, but was also pouring out His wrath on him. This was worse than a nightmare. That's why David cries out in his pain and anguish. He can't stand this disfellowship, this alienation. It hurts him. It causes him grief. He's asking God to hear him, to listen to his cry for help, to hear his weeping. Weeping. He's tired. He's worn down from having his sin stand in the way of a good relationship with God. Again, brothers and sisters, David's cry for help, this impassioned plea, the deep pain that he's feeling, that's a cry for his own son, our Lord Jesus. He is the one who can heal the breach. 
in every broken relationship with God. When we sin, there is a way back to the Father. The way is Jesus Christ. The way is crying for help to Him. Our sins, when we are unrepentant, they may bring us chastisement from God. But this chastisement, in whatever form it comes, is meant to lead you to Christ. Psalm 39 is given to us to point us to Christ. When sin breaks your fellowship with God, God's plan is to have you humbled, to get you on your knees, confessing your sin and holding on to the Lord Jesus in faith. He wants you to be weeping over your sins. Ask yourself the question, have you ever shed a tear over your sins? Has it ever affected you in that way? God will use different ways to bring you to that point. But the end result is the same. He wants you to live with Him like a child with His Father in a loving relationship. God will not discipline us, not chastise us because He hates us, not because He has it in for us and He wants to destroy us. He wants us to be close to Him. He wants us to have fellowship with Him. The question left for us is, do we want that? Or do we want the vanity and emptiness of a living hell on earth, anticipating an eternal hell hereafter? Brothers and sisters, we are a congregation of Jesus Christ. We know in whom we have our hope and salvation. Jesus Christ, the great Son of David, it is He to whom David pointed. He did so with all His own human imperfections, His weaknesses. He did that even in the midst of his own chastisement for sin. He did that so that we, God's people, would know true joy through our Lord Jesus in this life with all its muddy complexities, with all the webs we weave for ourselves, that we would know true joy through our Lord Jesus in this life and in the life to come. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.